Bismillah, welcome back to the Dadhood Podcast. This is episode 20. Alhamdulillah, we've reached a milestone of 20 episodes, which is great. Uh, and today I have with me uh, Ustad Abu Muslim Kamran, and he's uh, agreed to come on after a long time. We've been uh, speaking to each other about, you know, getting you on, speaking about your fatherhood journey and things like that. Uh, and hopefully this is going to be, you know, to those of you who know you and have listened to things that you've put out online in the past, like your story getting into Medina, this is going to be slightly different and they get a slightly different angle and understanding. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Ustad. How are you? Uh, firstly, uh, it's an honor for me to be on your podcast. Uh, the delay was literally because, uh, as, as I told you, I started a new job as a teacher. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was actually my first time being a teacher in a secondary school. So things were like completely hectic. I needed to settle down. So I started in September, and alhamdulillah, I think it's been six months. I've, I finally got hang of it. Took a while, but um, yeah. I, yeah, I wanted to be on the podcast for a while, but you know, Father uh, I wasn't able to come earlier. But Jazakallah Khair for inviting me, uh, and uh, I, I look forward to taking part in Shawa. Sheikh. Um, so as I'm going to start with a question that we always start with our guests is, how old were you when you became a father, and how many children do you have? I was uh, 21 years old, alhamdulillah, uh, when I became a father, um, I had my first son and my only son, alhamdulillah, and now I have two children, alhamdulillah, Mashallah, that's I have a son and a daughter, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, one, one of each, just like myself. Yeah, alhamdulillah, <laughs> alhamdulillah, yeah. So you became yeah. a father at 21, I think that might be the youngest father we've had, as in uh, your, your okay, current age is, is obviously a little bit older than that now, but... Yeah. Uh, in terms of when you became a father, I think that's the yeah. youngest. Um, so what's the story behind that? How come you became a father so young? So uh, I actually got married young, alhamdulillah, uh, obviously. And um, around the same time? I got, or? Yeah, around the same time. Okay. Around the same time. I was, a, I was at university when I got married. Okay. Um, so I went to Queen Mary University hmm. um, and then I got married, alhamdulillah. And then uh, I took a year out and you know to get married and get prepared and etc and then because of Allah I just um had, had a kid <laughs> so uh there, there's not much more story to it so did, <laughs> did you kind of know that uh, when I get married I'm gonna not restrict myself me me you kind of between you and your wife you're like let's you know whatever happens happens or did you have a plan of restricting it for a couple of years until you got more comfortable no, no, there was no restriction plan. Okay. There was just whenever it happens, it happens. Okay, alhamdulillah. So, and how, how come you felt was, so confident that at that age? Uh, were you sort of 20, 19, 20 years old? How, how, how come you felt so comfortable at that age to be like, let's get married and, and we have a child? That's totally fine with me. Yeah, the truth is, I was comfortable getting married. Uh, I, do you know what? I didn't even think of fatherhood. It, it didn't come to my <laughs> head. I thought, okay, it will happen whenever it happens. Yeah. But it, it wasn't planned. And at the same time, it wasn't unplanned. So it wasn't like oh, it was a surprise like we say we just take it as it goes um and i you know to be honest even if it wasn't at 21 i want i always wanted to be a father when i was young like we discussed that me and my wife at the marriage meeting that we okay. wanted to be parents when we were young um okay for various different reasons so we wanted to be, obviously as you know it's in the hands of allah when yeah. when he grants somebody a child so we didn't put a time on it but we did want to we both of us wanted uh plan to have a children when we were young either way okay alhamdulillah and 
were there many people around you, like friends or family, that also had children quite young, or was that quite a unique circumstance? No, it was quite unique. Uh, so this was a while ago. Like my son's uh, quite old now. Um, at that time, people weren't getting married uh, so young. I feel that nowadays, although there is a difference in the sense that there is general public, or let's say the general Muslim community, does get married later due to uh, career and all that. Back then, it was taboo to get married young. Yeah. Uh, not because of career. It just it just at that time it was just like a standard to get married at 24 25 and you yeah. know just to follow that sequence of events yeah. so there weren't many people to be honest I, f- I think i knew one more brother who was married at 18 mm-hmm. um and he didn't have a child at that point and he was the only person that i know of that got married before me um other than that everybody else got married after so okay alhamdulillah. okay alhamdulillah so you kind of took it into your stride to set that as like a pioneer in a way to show people yeah. that it can, it can be done really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, can, it definitely, definitely can be done. And I do encourage others for those who are able to, um, like I said, there, there's many benefits, like not only to get married young, uh, as opposed to Allah some said, so he advised the young, the young men, those of you who are able to, to get married. Uh, and if you cannot, then fast. So you know that benefit. But other than that, in terms of, um, being a father specifically uh young age there, there's many many benefits um which is like i mentioned one of the reasons that me and my wife decided we wanted to be uh young parents because we feel that you know if you if you have a obviously you can't control when you have a child um but if you do it during your later years or you choose to get married during your later years by the time your son is like 10 or your daughter is 10 15 the, the teenage years when, when they really need to have a good connection with you um at that time the the generation gap is so large that there, there is no connection um whereas if you start younger then you know like for example I, I'm, I'm really really into football um so i've been playing regularly since i was like five years old play for my school team play for clubs etc et i've always wanted to play football with my son if i had a son oh it's just something i wanted to do and you know if i'm like a granddad and i'm 50 years old yeah and when he gets to the age when he can actually play when he's like 15 mm. um you know that it's going to be difficult for me i won't have to i won't have that connect uh likewise for even if you're not into football but whatever the hobbies are uh like now my son's a bit older i play fifa with him yeah i play playstation 5 with him yeah so i mean my my father never did that i don't know many fathers who play playstation with their children Mm. um so alhamdulillah it worked out in a sense and i I see the benefits of me uh having a child when i was younger i I see them now years Uh, later do you think I mean, some people make the argument that, you know, if you waited, then you could have progressed in your career. You could have maybe ticked a few things off your bucket list. Um, You know, you could have basically prepared yourself much better for being a father if you delayed it a couple of years. But what would you say to those people who have those excuses and delay uh, having children for a few years? That's a personal choice whether you delay, Mm -hmm. but don't delay it because of money. Because at the end of the day, if you're saying you delaying your career because you're going to be more prepared you, you, most people are talking financially right yeah now Allah is the pro- provider and Allah says in the Quran that he provides for you and he provides for them meaning your children yeah so don't ever uh think that oh I, I don't have enough money for for my children I, I'm sure you've meant you've come across many many stories where the child like comes with his own risk mm. the child itself comes with his own risk so whether you have it at 20 whether you have it at 30 whether you have it at 40 that child has his own risk yeah. And whether you have whether you have no job at that time, whether you have uh, a low-paid job, 
that child comes with his risk, meaning that your risk automatically by default, by sunnah of Allah, will increase. Yeah. Um, even to me, that happened, and I know many, many brothers, no matter what <coughs> stage of life they had, when they had their child, their risk uh, increased. Like me, for example, at that time, uh, I was on a gap year from uh, university, uh, and I was working a masjid. Um, so, obviously, working a masjid, as you know, the Muslim charity sector, uh, they don't pay the best. Yeah. But as soon as I had the child, uh, my manager decided to increase my wage and that was that was literally in the month that he was born so like that I, I just knew that's when I like you know this child just comes with his own risk yeah. and then I've heard many many stories even I've heard stories of brothers who they've had five children and every time they have a new child they get a wage increase at work yeah, so you know, like you can imagine after five, six, you know, their wages must be skyrocketing, mashallah. So, um, I, I, in terms of financial, I, I would say to any um, potential parents or parent uh, people who want to be parents, don't ever, ever stop having children due to fear of money because mm-hmm. that child, Allah has promised that that child will come with his own risk and that child will be paid for. Remember, at the end of the day, even the same thing is, is with our wives, like as men we shouldn't think that we are the providers for the women or we are the providers for the children. We don't provide. We are just the vehicle that provides. Mm. Allah is the provider. He's the one who's given that provision. It just happens to be through you. So you're not the one who's given your child the money. Allah has provided that child the money, yet through your wages or through your work, but you're not the one who's provided that. So that's why I would say, in terms of career, um, personally, um, my my career as such... Uh, was to seek Islamic knowledge. So it didn't really affect me. Like, uh, as you know, Alhamdulillah, I, was, uh, I studied at the university and I've graduated from there now. So that was kind of my career path. Um, having a child didn't affect it negatively in any way. In fact, it enhanced it. Yeah, so, I wanted um, to go into that a little bit, not yeah. in terms of your your journey and getting into Medina and things, but just mm-hmm. having a child while uh, going abroad and seeking knowledge because a lot of people who want to do that, they yeah. think that children will hinder them. And so they want to go through all of that process before having children. Or when they do have children, they think, I'm not going to be able to do that now. So I might as well start looking at other ways of, of seeking knowledge instead of going abroad and spending my time there. So what was your experience like bringing, did you, did you bring your family there or did you have to leave them behind? What was it like? No, so... Um... My child was with me, alhamdulillah, throughout the whole time. I was there for seven years, and my child, uh, alhamdulillah, he was brought up in Medina. He spent seven years of his life in Medina. Um, And that was one of the most amazing things uh, for him and for me and my family and for my wife as well. So when when I got accepted about six months later, um, I brought my family, my entire family. At that time, it was my wife and my my son. So we brought him. He was around... uh, two three around that around that time so he was he was basically a baby still toddler yeah. so he spent seven years uh in medina he was raised in medina um and i felt that made i had a huge impact on him um and that's something that we wanted to do to be honest because uh as you know most people you know when you have children you want you want them to be in the best environment so you find that you know the environment has a big effect on children um and what better environment than in the city of muhammad sallallahu alayhi that must um, be amazing. So for, what 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 sorts yeah, of uh, benefits 
because you said that now you've become a teacher in a secondary school. Mm-hmm. So you've obviously come across children who have grown up in uh, their, 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 their uh, environment growing up was here uh, mm-hmm. in comparison to your son who spent mo- majority of his childhood in Medina. Uh, what are the differences that you've seen or the benefits that you may have seen in comparison? You know, when you're in Medina specifically, obviously I'm not saying all Muslim countries are like this, but yeah. Medina specifically, uh, your life is Islam. That's it. You, you hear the, the big thing, especially in the Muslim country, is uh, you hear the Azad five times a day. That's a huge thing. Um, so now the child, he's like, oh, the Azad, it's time to pray. Yeah. And he's young. He knows that, oh, there's there's the thing for prayer. Okay, a, a mother or a father can, you know, prompt the child, oh, it's time to pray, time to pray. But it's not the same thing when you hear the Azad and then you see, like, the whole city going to to the masjid. Yeah. Um, and it becomes the norm. The day is revolved around prayer, especially in Medina and Saudi Arabia. Um they close down the shops at prayer time. So when, when we're in shops and then it's like, okay, it's Asr, time to close. Every, everything's closed. So like, you know, that becomes a norm. And then like for my child, it's just normal. Okay, it's prayer time, time to close shops, time to stop whatever you're doing. Yeah. It's time to pray. So the day starts revolving around the prayer. And then the hope is that, you know, when they're older, they can likewise do the same and revolve their day around the prayer, yeah. knowing that they've become used to it for most of their life. Yeah, yeah. SubhanAllah. That's, that's such a good point because... Obviously, when you're here, you don't hear the adhan. Yeah. And so it's upon mm-hmm. um, the parents to set an example to get them to get in the habit of uh, going, uh, knowing that this time, it means it's time for prayer, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock, whatever it is. That means that there are set times for prayer. Uh, and then kind of s- including that within the schedule of the day. Okay, they go to school and then come back from school. They need to know when the prayer times are, etc. Exactly. Um, exactly. But... When you're over there, it's just it is just within you, you know, because it's mm. it's always around you, and I'm yeah, guessing yeah. that instills that uh, love for it in a way that when you don't hear, so when he he comes back to the UK and he doesn't hear that, then it's sort of like something yeah. is missing, and uh, exactly, I, 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 I want to have that connection with the salah. No, definitely, definitely. Um, so that you could get in any Muslim country, to be honest, uh, mm. as you know, the dance plays in most Muslim countries, um, that you can get in any Muslim country. Uh, now I'm not saying oh as soon as your child goes abroad they're just gonna you know become the most perfect Muslim yeah uh, you need you know you need to do, put the tarbiyah and the working at home uh, I'm just saying these things in the environment uh, they help also uh, in Muslim countries generally Medina as well um, the Eid is celebrated uh, it's a much bigger thing than it is in this country yeah um, because you know the, the whole country celebrated it uh, they make a big issue out of the, the malls have the uh, Eid celebrations and the uh, the roads are, you know, light up in green, etc., etc., and there's that feeling of Eid and Ramadan, um, which is lacking here, which is something that you know we as uh, parents and adults need to instill in our younger children that you know the the Muslims they have two Eids, um, and as Prophet said when he saw the uh, the men they were fighting in the masjid and Aisha she was watching, um, he said that we have been given something better than that, which is the two Eids. So when we see for our children, oh, you know, they're seeing that their friends are having birthday parties or they're having uh, Christmas parties or whatever the party, whatever they're celebrating, they should know that they've been given something better than that, which is Eid. Uh, and it's upon us as parents and adults to make them feel like it's something special and make yeah. it feel like, okay, you know, I look forward to Eid every single year. And it's not just, oh, I'm just going to go to my parents. Oh, I'm just going to go to my relative's house and I'm just going to eat food. It, sh- it should be something bigger than that, something for children to look forward to. Hmm. It's part of the Muslim identity, really. 
I want to pick up on something you said earlier. You said that you play uh, FIFA and PS5 with your son. Yes. Uh, yes. Some people assume that you being uh, somebody who went out to seek knowledge, graduated from Medina, these are the things which are, uh, you know, do, do, uh, do not come inside that kind of household of, of somebody who, who has been through that process. So um, to kind of brush away the myths, uh, what, what was the thinking behind... Uh, having that social time with your son and having things like PlayStations available in the household? Obviously, it has to be within a limit. Um, scholars have mentioned, so before, you know, uh, when I looked into whether it's uh, halal or haram, etc., scholars have mentioned that video games are permissible uh, with conditions. So there's certain games you can't play if they involve shirk or if they involve haram, etc. So, so I'm very picky on what games I do play as I mentioned FIFA specifically yeah um so the general rule is that uh video games are halal as as long as they don't involve things uh such as uh shirk and haram things like that uh also as long as they don't distract you from the uh remembrance of Allah SWT. so you know what some people might do you know when they might get addicted to it and then they're missing their salah or they're yeah. becoming lazy in their ibadah due to it um, with my with my son, uh, he has set screen time. Okay. Um, so he's only allowed a certain amount of time, uh, and also he can only play under my supervision. Um, so there, there, there's there's conditions for it, but at the same time, like a Muslim is allowed to have fun. So nobody says that you know you you can you just have to be a serious guy all the time and not do anything and just all day you're just reading Sahih Bukhari <laughs> and memorizing Quran. That, that's that's not how Allah told us to live our life. You have to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give him his rights. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's it's perfectly fun, uh, perfectly fine to to have fun as long as it's in a halal way. And uh, as some of the scholars mentioned that the amount of uh, halal there is, is so much in comparison to the haram. Yeah. The haram is, is a small amount. If you look and compare what is halal compared to what is haram, everybody always goes on about the haram, haram, haram. But the haram is minuscule is small small percentage so there's always a halal alternative mm. pretty much everything uh, that you can think of there's a halal alternative so you should have fun yeah have fun in life uh you know your your body has rights over your family has rights over you um give them the time give them the rights um but just don't sp- step over the boundary of what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed what other things do you do to bond with your son uh play football with him physical football yeah um I try to spend as much time with so his interests. I'll, I'll try to get into his interests and find out you know, what he likes and uh, research up on it. Yeah. Uh, like some of the stuff the kids like and stuff like that. So um, that's that I also uh, teach him. I think that's a good way of bonding yeah. uh, with your children. So I, I teach him uh, Islamic knowledge. Um, and before that, while we were in Medina, I used to homeschool him. Okay. So I found a lot of uh, time was spent uh, with him because I was homeschooling him. Well, my wife was doing major majority of it, but I was teaching in the Islamic side. Okay. So there was a few hours spent uh, with him from a uh, educational point of view. Um, so that, that could help. Like, for example, obviously, most people send their children to school, um, which is perfectly fine. But when you when they come home, then, you know, help them, help them with their homework. Um, help ask them if, they, if there's anything that, you know, they need help with at school. Um, and that in itself, that teaching between teacher and a student uh, is even is it even stronger bond once it becomes the student is the child and the teacher is the father. Yeah. Okay. Subhanallah. And, uh, so that I actually want I wanted to bring up this topic that um, 
some parents are afraid to maybe take the role of a teacher because they feel like maybe them doing their parenting, them doing their fathering is going to be hindered by them doing the teaching uh, and they won't know how to sort of uh, jump between the two roles of being a father and then also being a teacher. So sometimes they tend to maybe put their child into madrasa, which is not a bad thing, but their, their reasoning is that, okay, I don't want to take the role of a teacher. Somebody else can do that. And so they're kind of just focusing focusing on the fathering thing. But is is there actually a separation between the two? Is there a way that the two come together, uh, especially given that your experience being a teacher as well? Um, is there a way in which being a father, being a parent and a teacher can combine and you can give both of those to your child or do you have to separate them? No, no, definitely. To be honest, part of uh, fatherhood, uh, even Islamically, is to give them tarbiyah. Now, whether you get that outside or within yourself, the, the best tarbiyah is going to come from the parents directly. Um, so I think that it shouldn't be separated, that the, the father should always, the mother is the first focal point, obviously, and as a uh, as everyone knows, she's, she is the madrasa of the home. So she, the, the mother is able, able to always, you know, teach their children different shit. So I don't see why fathers couldn't. Now, I I understand in certain subjects or in certain things um, that clash might be there. Um, that's something you need to overcome. Like, for example, I, I had the same problem with Quran. So with, with Quran, um, I found that my, my son just w- wasn't having it with me. Yeah, he wasn't progressing. So I got some, and it, basically, you need to be a bit strict with Quran, as you yeah. know, right? Yeah. Uh, no beatings, by the way. Yeah, no beatings, <laughs> but you need to be, you need to be strict with Quran. So, because I'm not strict dad, um, I found that, you know, he, he thought I was a bit too lenient and I, I felt that I needed to get an external teacher for him. Okay. Somebody who's, he's, he's a bit more, uh, not scared of, but, you know, uh, is worried about not finishing his uh, with. So with Quran specifically, uh, I got an external teacher. But if somebody has that worry of, you know, how am I going to uh, teach and be a father at the same time? Remember that the first thing is that when you are a father, you're, you're, you're actually a teacher as well by default. You don't even have a choice. Part of being a father is to be a teacher and to teach your child. If you don't want to teach him uh, formally all the subjects, uh, for example, you don't want to, okay, forget homeschooling. You Let's say you want to differentiate and you don't want to get involved in math science, then you don't need to teach him formally, you can teach him casually. So you teach him so that, you know, okay, I'm just going to do five minutes with you. Okay, are you stuck on anything in science? I can help you. Like I said, helping your child with homework uh, is a big thing. And that is you teaching without you teaching complete your subject. And that's not going to affect your bond of uh, father and child. In fact, it will, it will strengthen it. it. If you don't see it as teaching, if you don't want to, see it as helping them out. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Is, is there a difference between um, this Islamic concept of tarbiyah and uh, teaching in a in a sort of formal fashion that we may see in schools yeah so uh islamic tarbiyah is the whole uh islamic upbringing of your child so it's not when when people say tarbiyah something they think tarbiyah just means education education is part of it but to teach your child how to pray that's that's not that you need to know the theory they also need to physically pray to teach your to teach your child how to make wudu, to teach your child how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to teach your child how to become the best Muslim he can be is tarbiyah. That's what it is. So people shouldn't think that, oh, okay, I'm just gonna send my child to school, uh, whether it's Islamic school or non-Islamic school, and that's it, that's the tarbiyah. So that, that that's not what tarbiyah is. Tarbiyah is the upbringing of your child in, in all the aspects, and not just uh you going him just going madrasa. 
him going madrasa or her going madrasa is not you giving tarbiyah to your children. Yeah. Tarbiyah is a uh, concept of a complete upbringing from A to Z on how to be uh, the best Muslim and how to follow the Sunnah of Muhammad Sallallahu and please Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. If they if you just send them two hours to madrasa, I think that's it. That's I've done my tarbiyah. I've done my uh, I've given him his rights that, that you be completely mistaken. So tarbiyah has to be in the home and start in the home. Yeah. It has to continue through the home. Even if they go learn externally, it has to continue in the house constantly. And to be honest, you it's not something that you can quit. That's it. You you once you have that child, you're responsible for the tarbiyah all the way until they're uh or eighteen, etc. Okay, subhanAllah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, is is the the idea of, of tarbiyah, the difference between it makes sense, but is there a difference in which uh, teaching styles occur because you being now a secondary school teacher the way that you're going to yeah. teach in school is that going to be the same way that you're going to teach um your son to be the best muslim um there will be a difference in the sense that end of the day uh, your child is your child so y- you will have more uh love and care for yeah. your children personally than, than you would have for other children I'm not saying that i don't like my students but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, my my child is my child there's that special bond yeah. That our last one child has given. Um, so, and also with your child, you can see how they are in their personal life. Now, at school, I only see the children between nine to three. And even then, I see them when they come to me for my Islamic study subject, so, or Quran or uh, Arabic. But when they're in my classroom, they can act a certain way because they know, oh, the teacher's strict or the teacher's lenient or, you know, this is Islamic studies class, so I need to be well behaved. Um, because I've seen even compared to when they are in my class to how they are in the playground, they're different because yeah. in the playground, they're, they're playing, they're free. Um, whereas in my class, you know, we have certain rules, et cetera, et cetera. So the difference with that is with your child, you will see them in their uh, natural state at home, how they are all the time. Um, when I teach Islamic studies or whenever anybody teaches, they, they're teaching theory and they're teaching specifically about Islam. And obviously I do tell them about manners and I do tell them, and I, I do give as much tarbiya as I can but there's only so much I can give. Once they go home at three o'clock, then it's, now it's up to the parents all the way till they go see. So they have, the parents have all that time from the, when the child comes back from school until they go sleep and on the weekends to, to yeah. give that constant to the beer. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that any uh, parent should depend on their ch- on their teacher at uh, Islamic school to give that to the beer. Yeah, they'll give that to the beer, they'll teach them things that maybe they didn't know, but Truly, it's about the parents to give the right to be to the children. Okay, alhamdulillah, makes sense. Um, in the background, you've got your yeah. madrasa flags, logos, sorry, say flags, yeah. logos <laughs> in the background. Um, so this is uh, your sort of weekend madrasa school that you've made. Um, yeah. And uh, it's run purely online. Uh, yeah. And what was, what was the thinking behind it? Why did you decide to run an online madrasa you know there's loads of madrasas that go on in person in masjids or they hire out a school facility why do you decide to do something online okay so um the actual thinking or the inspiration behind your madrasa was actually a hadith of the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi said that when the son of adam passes away then all of his deeds all of his actions come to an end except for free First being Sadaqah Jariah, an ongoing charity, 
second being uh, ilmun nafi which is uh, beneficial knowledge and the third is um, a righteous child that makes dua for you once you've passed away so when i came across that hadith um, it inspired me to make well it's actually me and my wife's idea for us to make uh, your majlisa because it encompasses all three of that we realize that you know, if we have a school then we could actually encompass all three of that in the hadith and it could be something for us and our children and the future generations and the ummah uh, to benefit. So the first one is it provides beneficial knowledge. We teach about Islamic uh, subjects, we teach about Islamic studies. So that's beneficial knowledge. The second is that um, it's a form of sadaqah jariyah because not only is the knowledge that they teach that we will pass to others, but we have a uh, sponsor child program in that. So somebody, they can sponsor a child to study at our madrasa and they themselves are not studying, but the child is studying. Now, every time that that person studies, they get a share of the reward. Even when they pass away, that child will continue to teach others, and they'll get a share of the reward. Oh. And then the third is um, a righteous child that makes dua for you. We hope that for the students who end up going to your majlisa, we give them that tarbiyah, we give them that encouragement, and we give them that love for Islam and for their parents, so that once their parents do pass away, then that child who was a student at your majlisa will be somebody who is righteous and who will make dua uh, for their parents. Um, that was the inspiration behind it, but the reason it started was, uh, as a, uh, as you know, as obviously as we mentioned in the podcast, that uh, my son was uh, raised in Medina, so he was homeschooled. So what happened was um, my wife was dealing with the secular subjects; she was teaching him, and I was teaching him uh, maths and Islamic subjects. So I was teaching him fiqh, hadith, sirah, Quran, uh, tadbir, du'as. Uh, and uh, tafsir. So I was teaching him that. So when I taught him, um, I, I had to come up with the curriculum to teach him because we looked online, we couldn't find anything. So I had to come up with a curriculum. So over the years, as I was teaching him, uh, we came up with a complete curriculum. And um, alhamdulillah, he, we found that he benefited so much from it, from the teaching that we gave him. And we thought, you know what, let's not limit this to just my son. Uh, let's, let's let the whole ummah benefit from it. So me and my wife thought, oh, you know what? the way we've taught my son, the, the curriculum that we've taught him, let's try to benefit the whole ummah for it and perhaps it could be a means of sadaqah jariah for us. Um, that's how we started it. So in my final year when I graduated, um, we decided, you know what, let's, let's start this madrasa and uh, alhamdulillah there is your madrasa. Alhamdulillah, that's amazing. Um, and just uh, back to the question of doing it online, uh, what was the yeah. thinking behind that? Why not, okay, yeah, why the not thing, set it up yeah, in person? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I always wanted it online. Uh, my background is computer science, okay. so I'm a techie person. Um, so I've I've always been into technology and online. So we actually started in the year that COVID started in 2020. So that's when I graduated. I graduated COVID year, um, but it was actually nothing to do with COVID. So had COVID not been there, we still would have been doing it online. Uh, the reason we chose online was we felt that with online you can access a <coughs> wider range of people. You're not limited to who's physically there. Uh, you can reach a lot more people. So our aim is to benefit as much of the ummah as we can. Um, that's why we decided, you know, online you can benefit more of the ummah than you can in person. Okay, alhamdulillah. Yeah, that obviously that makes a lot of sense. Um, some people may criticize, uh, and I've had that. Not, not <coughs> I've had sort of um, a question about, you know, children in online settings. Uh, not from a safety perspective, but from how much they are actually learning because especially you being a teacher you must know the benefit of having 
children in the classroom with you and having that physical interaction with them. So how do you kind of compensate for that in online with your madrasa? Okay, so what we do uh, that's unique to us is we don't uh, teach these uh, Zoom lessons just a teacher and a guy with a beard just going on and on and on. Our lessons are animated uh, lessons. They're cartoon lessons uh, to keep the child's uh, attention. Right. Uh, so we did research and we found that, you know, most children, they switch off after 20 minutes. Yeah. Their attention span is 20 minutes. So our lessons are bite-sized lessons. Uh, they're colourful. They have uh, images coming up. They have uh, numbers. They have flash things. Uh, so it's there to keep the child's attention and to make the lesson fun and interactive instead of just somebody, you know, just talking, talking, talking. Um, so that that's how we overcame that. Uh, we feel that, you know, with the uh, cartoon-style lessons, the, ch- the child is more interested and they'll retain the information better because they have visual aid. That is quite unique. I didn't even know that. I've, I've been looking at your madrasa, but I didn't know that you mm-hmm. actually have. Is it is it the whole syllabus uh, from different age groups you have animated lessons? The whole thing, yeah. Wow. How long did it take thing. to create that? I took years. It's <laughs> six years of making. Really? So, so when, yeah, when, yeah. when the idea sparked was when yeah. you and your wife were doing the homeschooling with your son yeah. in at Medina and from there you yeah. thought by the time I graduate we should create something we, yeah yeah pretty much so it was all it was always in the background making the curriculum putting together start we didn't start the videos till later but we had everything else in place yeah uh and then yeah like it says uh, it took years and years so alhamdulillah. and then on top of that we also have the live classes so you get okay. the best of both worlds okay so I, I also do do zoom classes uh, to get that human interactivity and we do get the live classes so we have a feature called ask the chef where the students they have their portal anytime they can go online they could ask uh, me a question gets emailed to me and during the live lessons i will answer any islamic question that they have at all at any time and what what age ranges join your madrasa so it's from four years to 11 years old mm. we have four levels so level one is for four to five level two is six to seven level three is eight to nine and then the final level four is 10 to 11. Okay. Uh, those are the four years. It's aimed specifically at primary school children. Okay, alhamdulillah. And do you have plans for extending it into secondary school? Uh, possibly. That's something uh, that we're we'll looking into. Uh, but I think with secondary school, the, the, the cartoons won't work with them. As you, <laughs> know, uh, you, know, you know, the kids, they're, they're a bit more into... Uh, Unless like, you make it anime style. Things. Yeah, yeah, maybe they'd love <laughs> that. Yeah, 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 if I could. So, uh, yeah, we, we, it's something that we do want to do, but we need to pick the best way. Because this was specifically for primary school children because it's, you know, animated, childish lessons. Yeah. And um, for secondary school, we need to think about what's the best way to deliver Islamic content to them. Yeah, subhanAllah. That, that is very unique, subhanAllah. Um, and I don't I don't think anybody, any other sort of madrasa system online is doing anything like that. So I think you've definitely yeah, got something there, subhanAllah. What's the feedback been mm-hmm. so far with the children and the parents who have enrolled? Alhamdulillah, it's been amazing. Uh, so we're in our second year uh, and we complete the first year last year. Alhamdulillah, feedback's been amazing. The children love the lessons. Um, if you go on our website, you can see even we get emails from children uh, who are, you know, praising it and saying that they enjoy it and they look forward to the next lesson. Um, I remember at the beginning we had a, a question um, from a child. I think he's like six, seven years old. So the Ask the Sheikh feature is to ask Islamic questions. That's what it's for. It's not to ask your other questions. So we got an email from this child and he's like, oh, Assalamualaikum, Sheikh. Can we have your Majlisah lessons every day, please? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, that that uh, was heartwarming. 
uh, and nice because it, it was an Islamic question, but that means you know he's enjoying it and yeah. he, he wants to learn. Awesome, so, alhamdulillah. That's really good, alhamdulillah. Uh, I wanted to uh, just touch upon your experience with homeschooling. That's something that's become quite a big subject, especially since COVID happened. Uh, it's already it was already I guess something which a lot of Muslims considered because Muslim parents naturally want to uh, sort of control their children's environment and um, don't want them to be exposed to things that they they may feel is uh, kind of against their values within uh, the public uh, state schooling system. Um, but I think that sort of exaggerated a lot more within COVID because they were forced to basically homeschool uh, during yeah. that time. Uh, so your your homeschooling experience, you and your wife's homeschooling experience was obviously prior to that. But what what was the experience like? And um, what advice would you give to parents who are maybe hesitant about starting homeschooling with their children? Um, homeschooling, uh, in my honest opinion, and not just because I did it, is far better overall than uh, going for the traditional school system overall. However, uh, and there is a big however, uh, it requires a lot of hard work and dedication. Um, I don't think homeschooling is for everybody. So you need to see if you're able to put in the time and the work and the effort and the commitment. Um, if you are able to, then you'll find uh, almost guaranteed that your child will benefit more than they do in the uh, regular schooling system. Um, but again, it needs time. And like you said, during COVID, some people were forced to. Yeah. Um, at that time, you can see that, you know, some people, they're, they're, just, they're just not able to do it. Uh, because either their child you know is it just doesn't listen to them or they don't have the time um and you know it's it's sad because i was reading a lot of things online at the time when the children were forced to be at home a lot of parents are like oh i wish my child wasn't at home and mm. you know he's gone to school and then i'm i'm thinking like wow like what kind of relationship do you have with your child that you don't want him even want him near you um so that was kind of just sad to say even if you're not teaching them like come on you want to spend as much time as you can with your children um so um it's not for everybody and i do understand those who choose not to do it um because it is difficult and the main thing is and this is something that i lacked in um from my point of view from homeschooling my child is the dedication and consistency that you need so i wish i was more consistent uh it happened um but you need that consistency and you need that dedication if you're able to do that, then you'll see the fruits uh, of homeschooling. Okay, okay. So, and yeah. what 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 were some of the like key methods that you took with homeschooling? Because I've seen a few different things. It was like, so mm -hmm. some people say you know, just go with the flow, relax, no syllabus, no curriculum, just teach them on the fly. You know, take them out, show them certain things, go shopping with them, and they'll they'll learn as they go along. And uh, you sort of do no, it like I that. Others say no, you need a really yeah. strict, regimented way of teaching yeah. your children. I, I think the truth is in between. Uh, okay. As always, uh, we're we're a balanced ummah. So the truth is in between. You, you definitely need a syllabus and a curriculum mm. because otherwise your child is just learning haphazard. And what you realize is when they actually go to sit the exams, the GCSEs and the SATs, they're going to be behind because, you know, there's a set thing, at least in the UK, the UK club that children have to know by a certain age. Uh, if you're just going to teach them at random, they, they're going to have holes in their knowledge. Yeah. Uh, even Islamic knowledge, to be honest, has to be through a curriculum. You can't just say, oh, today we're going to read Sahih Bukhari. All right, tomorrow let's read uh, Fatul Bari. Uh, next day, okay, let's do Tafsir Jalilay. You know, there has to be a structure to it. And you have to start from the basics and work your way up. Yep. Um, 
so just like you'd have to do that with Islamic knowledge and start with the uh, basics, start with Bakhida, start uh, with Surah Fatiha, etc., work your way up. You have to do that with um, the secular curriculum as well. So you definitely need a curriculum. The things people are saying about, you know, go shopping and go out, but like, that is extracurricular activities. Mm. You need to do that regardless. Um, so that is part of homeschooling, but that's not teaching them um, what they need. That's teaching them tools they need to live in the real world. Yeah. In terms of theory, they definitely need a curriculum. Um, it shouldn't be regimented. Uh, like it, you don't want your children to feel they're in the army. You know, they come to homeschooling. So if you, if, if you make it like, oh, super strict. And th- that goes back to what you were saying about the relationship between a father or a mother and their child and teaching. Yeah. Now, if you're going to be really strict uh, with your children when it comes to teaching, yeah. and you're going to act like a um, general in an army, then that's going to have a ne- negative effect on you as a parent and the relationship you have with your child. So even when you're teaching your children, you have to bear this in mind that you know there, there's a certain amount of leniency and you have to see what relationship you have with your child and what works for them. Uh, every The good thing about homeschooling as well is that every child is unique. So everybody has their uh, weaknesses and strengths. So if you do homeschooling, you can work on your child's weaknesses specifically uh, and improve their strengths. Yeah. Whereas maybe in a, a secular school, they, they wouldn't be able to concentrate on every single child, obviously, due to uh, numbers. Yeah. The big uh, thing that lots of people bring up when they speak about homeschooling is socialization for their children. Yeah. Um, how did you go about doing that and making sure that your son had maybe peers of his age that he could connect with or just do any sort of social activities? No, definitely. So that, that is probably the biggest negative, Okay. Uh, the social side. So um, when you mentioned that people who are weary of uh, homeschooling and what I would advise them, I would advise them is not only have a solid uh, curriculum and homeschooling routine with your child, but make sure 100%, you have to make sure that they are getting supplemented for the social side because that's something that they will uh, leave out. So what I did uh, for my son to do that, he used to go to Masjid Nabawi uh, for Quran lessons. So in Masjid Nabawi, you see other children yeah. during his Quran lessons. So he'd, he'd uh, learn Quran with other children. And there he had interactive children. Also, I signed him up to MMA classes. Okay. Um, and there he met other children as well. So um, you need the social side. So if you do um, decide to homeschool your children, definitely, definitely supplement it with external clubs. Like even if there's basically an after school club, but without going to school. So there's all these activities that happen, your local football club, your local uh, MMA club, you know, all the different clubs, cooking club for girls or whatever, whatever club yeah. there is, look for a club where they could get regular social interaction with others. Mm. Okay, subhanAllah. I think that's, that is some solid uh, advice for those who are thinking about homeschooling. I am myself, I mean, my son is only three and a half and my daughter's about one and a half. So um, yeah. this is the time where we're really thinking about, you know, are we going to go ahead with the homeschooling? Are we going to trial it? Are we going to put them in school? So I'm doing a lot of yeah. research myself. Look into it. Uh, what advice is, yeah, try it. Yeah. Because your, your children are young now, mashallah. So you can always try it and then join in school there. To be honest, up until kids are like six, seven, they're just playing about, to be honest. Yeah, true. You can, you can, so they're not doing anything. And what they have missed out, you can probably teach in a month anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, try it maybe when they're young and see see if it works for you and your family yeah um if it does and you're able to then yeah. i would definitely recommend it okay alhamdulillah. um just coming up towards the end i wanted to ask you given that you have alhamdulillah mashallah gone through uh university of medina you're somebody who uh, takes his study of uh, islamic sciences quite seriously 
uh, and the fact that you have been teaching those types of things to your son, what type of vision do you as a father have for your son? Uh, you know, do you see him becoming a sheikh? Do you see him going through a different route? And how do you want to facilitate that as a father? Um, good question. Um, I want I want my son, uh, even my daughter as well. I want them to uh, have the best of both worlds. It's not a choice of uh, one or the other. Where if he's a sheikh, then that's it. He can't, you know, do well in worldly studies. Likewise, if if my daughter she decides to become a sheikh, I don't want to uh, think that okay, she's going to struggle in other things. Yeah. So I would I would like them to have the best of both worlds. Um, where you know they're both uh, people of knowledge and they're um, the the best Muslim uh, and they're the closest Muslims to the Sunnah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But at the same time, they they have their you know world worldly uh, attributes and their worldly qualities like degree of whatever field they choose to do. At the same time, as well, I won't pressure my uh, son or my daughter to choose the same path that I did. You don't need to do it uh, out of love, love for Allah, love for knowledge. Um, if they choose not to go down that path, then I would just ensure that, you know, they, they're they able to have the knowledge that a Muslim needs. Actually, probably, because it's my background, probably a bit more than that. Um, but I wouldn't force them to uh, pick a path. I'd, I'd let them make the choice. But in my ideal world, and the, the vision I see for both of them, is for them, my son to become a sheikh and my daughter to become a sheikh, inshallah, but yeah. also to have the uh, dunya qualities as well. Okay, alhamdulillah. And uh, if if they did, you know, follow that vision through that you had for them, they did it for for not just because they were scared and they wanted to uh, please <laughs> please you, uh, but they genuinely wanted to do it. Um, would you? Wh- what would you imagine them specializing in? Uh, my son, uh, he's got a love of Quran, a love of Yafazah. Um, so I think he would probably go into tafsir, okay, uh, and specialize in tafsir. My daughter, she's too young, uh, yeah, I don't know, right? <laughs> right now, she's into just uh, playing all day, so I, I, I'm not sure what she'd like, but uh, I'll see inshallah as she grows older. Uh, but with my son, I see him leaning towards uh, Quran, Qira'ah, and tafsir, mashallah. Oh, and uh, what was what. What uh, do you feel like were some of the key things that made your son love Quran so much uh, at his age? There's a lot of kids growing up now that just do Quran because they know they have to, but it's not really a passion of theirs. Rather, their passion is many, many other things that uh, kids at their age obviously do and get distracted by. Uh, how come Quran is something that is maybe in that top list for your son? Uh, yeah, I think this goes back to Tadabiyah. Um, Don't force your children uh, to learn. Um, you should instill love of Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam into them um, and make them want to learn. So he's been learning Quran from a young age. Uh, like I mentioned, he went to Masjid Nabi since he was young and he's been studying there for years and years. Um, so we, we started the Quran. He now does uh, Islamic sciences as well. Um, but I think it's because he has that ongoing connection with the Quran um, where you know he'll, he'll revise it daily, etc. etc. So he has that connection with it. So I feel that that is what helped and the main thing uh, with any child to go back is to make dua for them that you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, raises them as uh, righteous muslims uh, and righteous slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so make dua for your child um, and you know the, as, as the Prophet said that the dua of the uh, mother for her child the dua of the parent is not rejected so always keep this in mind that 
you know, regardless of what path you want or whatever you want them to do or whatever tr- troubles they're having, make dua for your uh, children and never forget them because the dua of the parent is not rejected. Subhanallah. Jazakallah khair, Ustad. That was uh, an excellent conversation. I think a good place to leave it off. Uh, And uh, inshallah, if there's any time in the future that we can bring you on, I think we should. Because I'm sure uh, it benefited me and I'm I'm sure other people benefited when they get a chance to listen to this. Inshallah, Allah, you barakatuh. Jazakallah khair. As-salamu alaykum. Take care. Wa alaykum as-salamu alaykum.